Allen passed the block. Here come the Aces on the run. The Energizer looks for Ty Young. Sprints to the hoop. Caught the glass and good. Good, good, good. Live in the entertainment capital of the world. Oh, mercy. It's the T.C. Martin Show. Show. And here we go. Get ready for the fourth quarter of game number four. It's time to get your daily prescription from the doctor. Hammy's going to let one fly. Chance three. Chance three. The three from half court. Oh, my goodness. Are you kidding me? T.C. Martin. There are six seconds to go. And the Energizer hit a wild, crazy, improbable three. To give the aces the lead. The doctor is now in. In, in, in. Glad to have you with us. Here we go. Wednesday, middle of the work week, hump day. Yeah, aces back in action. We are a month away. Training camp going to start here in a couple weeks. And uh, the WNBA draft tomorrow night. And the aces have three selections. Picking at the bottom of the first round. That's what happens when you go to the WNBA Championship Series. You get to pick uh, last. Bill Lambeer will join us today. The one-time bad boy. And, of course, the current head coach and president of basketball operations with the Las Vegas Aces. He joins us today as uh, we get ready for a little WNBA action. Basketball back here in Las Vegas. Looking forward to to that. Also, Nick Bogdanovich will join us from William Hill, the director of race and sports over there. We'll talk to him about uh, the betting board for this coming weekend. Also, recap the Masters last weekend with him as well, too. And a lot more to get to. T.C. Martin, Ballpark, VGK Frank in the house. Numchuck on the other side of the glass. And uh, gentlemen, good Wednesday to y'all. Yeah, we'll see if Nick is excited because uh, the fight that we thought probably was going to happen, even though it wasn't, is on, and it will be a sold-out T-Mobile Arena. His tickets will be going on sale, I believe, this weekend Mm -hmm. for McGregor Poirier. UFC 264 will have a full house, like Frank said. 20,000 people as Vegas has opened back up, as Governor Steve Sisolak announced yesterday he expects... Uh, 100% full capacity at uh, events and everything starting June the 1st. The uh, only mandate here is is masks, but uh, he's going to wipe out pretty much the social distancing. And uh, I'm very interested to hear from our good friend, Dr. Christina Madison. We'll have her on the show tomorrow to talk about this. And we've been waiting and waiting and waiting for Vegas to open back up. And I don't know about you, but it just kind of hit me like boom snap of a finger you know we're you know been on this long pause been very casual been very i guess cautious is is, is the better word to say there been very very cautious you know 25 percent, then 50 percent. now all of a sudden sisolak saying okay boom let's open it right back up with really no restrictions except for the masks and that's uh, coming up uh, june the first yeah, I, I'm in a little bit different camp than you. I think that it has kind of been a slow, gradual grade up to it. So, I mean, yeah, going up to 100% now sounds like a big step, but we're still a month and a half away from that happening. So things have been going in the right direction. It doesn't mean that they can't change that mandate if there was some kind of outbreak or something. So people still have to be, you know, diligent and follow the proper protocols and all that. But um, it just kind of seemed like an almost natural progression. I guess maybe some people were thinking, well, the next step would be 75 or something. But if things are going well... You know, 75, 100, and we've seen it done in other places, too. Uh, we know that the Rangers had that sold-out game in their ballpark down there. It's been weird, this whole thing to me, how it is a state-to-state or even in some places county-to-county or city-to-city or whatever, or maybe even going by zip codes. But, yeah, I mean, it was something that's that's right around the corner. Uh, now we'll see what happens, and, you know, we'll see if people are actually still wearing their mask and doing everything else or if they're going to say, well, I got my vaccines and here's my card so I don't have to wear a mask or, you know, but I'm looking forward to concerts again and hockey games with full arenas and UFC events and the aviators the aviators opening up at that beautiful ballpark and and everything else so yeah it's uh you know I, I think people are chomping at the bit for it but I just hope that people don't get the wrong message and think that means that okay it's over because it still ain't over and I'm sure that's one of the things that the good doctor will be talking with us about tomorrow and also of course we'll have some questions about What's new on the vaccine front? <laughs> right. Yeah. Yeah. With the, the J&J situation, which you and I both had. And then, you know, we get the news yesterday. They have put a pause on that. 
And uh, yeah, what, what does that mean? I know there are some there are some cases where they said that uh, some patients develop some blood clots. Yeah, six out of seven million, I believe. Yeah, yeah. So I guess you know, you know, well, hopefully we're part of the six point five or six point nine nine five, whatever. Well, you know? we know for a fact we're not one of the six because we haven't had blood clots yet. At least right. not that we that we, that we know to, of. Yeah. Well, if we did, then it would be seven and eight if if the right. both of us had them. So, right. but we know we're not one of the six. Right. So. Right. And I guess that is some breaking news, though, ladies and gentlemen, because today, Numchuck goes and sees our girl, Dr. Christina Madison. The T.C. Martin Show is fully vaccinated. Well, maybe not well, fully he's vaccinated. Not fully vaccinated. He's not fully vaccinated. Because he had to go. He got, he's halfway there. Well, he's not even really quite halfway there. And Quake Cause is, cause is fully got, there, right? He Qu- got Quake's the first. there? Yeah, okay, so we're... Numchuck got the first one. Then yeah. he's got to wait a month for the second one. Remember, even after that, it's still two weeks after that. Right. In your system to get fully vaccinated. So he's still about a month and a half out. Yeah. And he's from being fully vaccinated. You made the step, man. All right. I'm glad you made the step. Any 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 pain, any issues, any side effects today? Because you went with a Moderna. He went with a Moderna, so Well, he went with probably what was available. Probably said hey, we got a Moderna or Pfizer or maybe we just have Moderna or whatever. So hmm. I know when I went I orig- I, orig- I originally it was scheduled for the Pfizer. Right. And but they said yeah we have some Johnson and I'm like I can get yeah. that they're you like pulled the move you went yeah left turn right there they're like yeah yeah it's first come first serve over there I'm like you one and done ah sign me up yes. there you go you're just like a Duke recruit or a Kentucky recruit hey you know <laughs> sometimes it's a good game plan you know I, I, I'm 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 looking to uh, go to the final four not the uh, final curtain. <laughs> oh. <laughs> The final resting stop. <laughs> final countdown. Final and whatever. That's really the breaking news right there. <laughs> I think this is the first time that we've ever heard Ballpark Frank sounding positive. He's usually putting himself six feet underground already. He's, ah, I'm done. Forget about it. You know, I've, uh, you know, I should have been gone. You know, a couple of years ago. Oh, I should have been gone yeah, several yeah. times. But uh, <laughs> but now he's looking up. Now he wants to go to the final four. It's great. All right, good for you, man. <laughs> at, at, at this stage of my life, I'm uh, I'm getting closer and closer. <laughs> no, I, I guess when I heard the term, okay, we're going to remove social distancing. Okay, that's the phrase that Sisolak said that kind of hit me like, wait a minute. Okay, you're going to remove social distancing. Okay, eventually we're we're going to get to that. But are we there right now with this announcement? Well, with the sold out arena, it, wouldn't it be impossible or hypocritical to say anything else? Because you're not going to be socially distanced. I know. Even in your party, if there's four of you, two people will be in the same party. The two on the end seats are going to be next to people that are not part of their party. So you have removed social distancing just by saying that's 100% capacity. I, I know, but my point is when you say that, you're basically – most people are going to take it the way you are – Afraid they're going to take it. Like, hey, that it's game be over. Like, All right, woohoo, party yeah. on. Because when you say that, okay. Party on, Garth. Yeah, social distancing has <laughs> been removed. However, you know, the state effective uh, you know, mandate uh, for masks will, will stay in place. Okay, that's, that's cool. So, yeah, I mean, when you look at it, if you're going to you know, sell out an arena, you're not going to be social distanced. But you still think, okay, people, the message is be careful. Still kind of keep your distance when you can, but... Yeah. Yeah. Don't know. be visiting Speed Dial 3 every week now. Well, that's only not a joke. <laughs> so this means we're not going to see the dots or the X's or the boxes. Well, in they're already line, gone in, from most places. In concession lines and that sort of... Uh, that's still out there. I mean, you go to you go to indoor dining places, you still have that. I've, have you been to the grocery stores recently? You didn't notice when they put them down. Have I, you noticed that they're all gone now? I... They have been gone for a while. Yeah, I don't know. I don't know. But I'm just saying, I was just in a, a restaurant where it's the same thing. There's some that still have them and a yeah. lot that don't. But uh, I'll, I'll, A lot of them have removed them well, from their establishments. Yeah, they're, but they're still there. I mean, I, I was just in the Walmart the other day. Yes, some are, yeah. but I'm saying yeah. some have already removed them. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> I mean, it's, you know. And, and plus, did, did you find as the later we got into this that people were obeying those less and less anyway oh yeah i still pe- see people you know saw people going down the wrong aisle and you know with arrows pointing this well way. the aisles oh, i don't think anybody yeah. ever really paid yeah. attention to that very yeah. few people did anyhow yeah, yeah. i did know. once in a while because i would fake myself out and go well i need some extra steps anyhow so fine i'll actually do this the way it's supposed to be but what always killed me was no matter what store i was in whether it was a grocery store walmart target whatever 
half the time the people I saw going down the wrong way were the employees of the stores. Oh, right. I know. <laughs> That's true. All right, so you, uh, UFC 264, like we said, uh, that is the Conor McGregor, uh, Dustin Poirier bout for the third time, the trilogy, uh, and that will take place at T-Mobile Arena on July the 12th. Now, this is a little bit of a story because, as we said the last couple of days, we've been talking about it, talked to Matt Holt on, on Friday, our UFC guru, and our other UFC guru, Heidi Fang, yesterday, and Conor McGregor said, oh, the bout is off. Because him and Poirier got into this, you know, social media war, so to speak, where McGregor said that he was going to donate uh, five hundred thousand dollars to Poirier's charity to build a, a gym in Lafayette, Louisiana, for disadvantaged youths, and uh, he hasn't gotten a check. And to McGregor's, you know, credit, I guess, you know, it's like I understand you're you're not going to dive into it completely and just hand over a check. And we understand that there have been some other people that Poirier hit up that uh, handed over a check, but there hasn't been any construction or any of that sort of thing. So, yes, of, of course, when you're involved um, with Conor McGregor, he has a vast team around him. They're going to do their due diligence with plenty of attorneys, and people are going to make sure all the contact, uh, contracts are, are checked and you know T's are crossed, I's are dotted, all that kind of stuff, and I, I understand that. Uh, so we just don't know where Poye's gym situation is, if it's... You know, still a dream in progress. It's actually you know moving forward or whatever. So I understand that. But uh, Poye took a took a shot at him, saying, "Hey, you haven't even you know given the check yet. You know what's up with that?" And McGregor said, "Okay, that's it. Fight somebody else." And we were joking about this on Monday, saying, "Hey, Dana White hasn't said anything. Uh, no, this thing is is still going to go on. There's no doubt about it." And then today, McGregor. Uh, just again, 48 hours ago, he's going to fight somebody else. The fight is off. Some media outlets ran with this. Well, today his quote was, I signed the bout agreement this morning. I'm going to rip this game a new a-hole on July 10th. The Mac is back in Sin City, full house. So Conor McGregor does sign the contract. And Heidi Fang brought up a good point yesterday. She goes, well, maybe the contract hasn't been signed yet. Well, now it is. Right, and and remember the suit. Now, it also came out today that Poirier said that he apologized and he was sorry that he even brought up the money situation because it does sound like it's maybe more on his end than it is on Conor McGregor's because maybe their ducks aren't all in a row and they don't know exactly what's going on. So, And plus, I think he also was thinking, well, you know what? Um, if I ever do want to get this money, I, I better play fair because McGregor's right. It's not a debt that he owes me. It was basically a... You know, like when you call a telethon or something and you pledge money to them. It's a pledge. It, it, it's, not something, it's not a necessary promise. And, but McGregor's people are saying, look, we give a lot of money to a lot of different organizations and charities. You don't know what you're doing yet. You're not ready to roll with this. You don't have the proper things happening. So we want to make sure that this money is allocated the way it should be and it's not used frivolously or wasted or, like you said, a dream that might not even ever reach fruition or whatever. So I kind of do get both parts, but Poirier did come out today and say that he was sorry that he ever brought it up. It was kind of a cheap shot and maybe taking some low-hanging fruit or whatever. But, again, we also mentioned it's like you almost even wonder if maybe they were in cahoots a little bit and said, like, look, what can we do to get a little bit more – you know, hype on this fight here. Well, now we got all the hype that we can have. They had this Twitter war to begin with. It is the third of the trilogy, and now it's going to be in a sold-out arena at T-Mobile here in Vegas. So, you know, right now everything is pointing in the right directions for them. Now we just have to make sure that everybody's through all the training camps healthy, that nothing else happens, and that, uh, you know, the fight goes off. I am curious to see what it does with pay-per-view numbers. Because we know that McGregor's been that gigantic blockbuster. But, again, we've talked about it on the show. We talked about it the last couple of days, like you mentioned, with Matt and with Heidi. Um, the Cowboy-Cerrone fight was nothing special. Cerrone is definitely towards the end of his career, and many people think that he should probably hang him up. I'm not to say for that. If a man can make a living and he wants to keep on fighting, do whatever you want to if we're going to pay you to do it. But And then the Poirier fight, it's, you know, Connor looked decent the first round, and then Dustin just basically dominated him. Yeah. So, you know, and he, he certainly didn't look good against Khabib. And so I don't know where McGregor is. I'd like to see him get 100% focus again and see if Conor McGregor is still the Conor McGregor that we saw when he was, was at his peak. Because I'm not sure that he is. And I'm not sure if it's, if it's focus or not. I just think that there is age. There's wear and tear. Even though he's 32. Poye's 32 as well, too. But McGregor's been in so many more wars. He's been in bigger fights. 
And, you know, obviously when you get beat down the way, and he has gotten beaten down in, as you know, in several of his fights. I mean, this isn't a guy that's just been, you know, cruising by everybody. This isn't a John Jones situation, you know, to keep it in the UFC octagon realm. You know, this is, this is Conor McGregor who has had some peaks and valleys in his career in the octagon and outside of the octagon. And yes, he's at a point now where, He's on the downside of his career. He's looking at more uh, of the businessman. I mean, very similar to you know our good friend Rob Van Dam here, who just has come on the show and says, you know, you know, wrestling's nice, but you know, I'm I'm totally fine with stepping away from the game. He's made his money. He's got his business ventures, and we're starting to see that with more and more athletes. And and McGregor is right up front with that too. I mean, he's he's got his. You know his vodka business or whatever it is, uh, what, 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 the whiskey business, yeah, the whiskey, business, the whiskey and, yeah. business, and, and he's and, got and that, other things. And, 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 and that's what and I, God bless him for that. You know, but, but that's what I mean by his yeah. focus. It used yeah. to be when he got ready for a fight, he was one hundred percent committed to the fight. He does have other business ventures now. He does have a family. He has other things he's looking at. And I'm not saying that's necessarily a bad thing, but I am saying when you are getting in the cage, when you're getting in the octagon. And you're trying to take somebody's head off, and they're trying to take yours off. If you're about the same level, and Poirier has definitely improved since the first time they're met, if there's anything that's got you a little bit out of focus, your opponent can potentially take advantage of that. And that's why I think McGregor isn't the same mentally in focus as he was. I'm not saying it's a bad thing. He's matured as a human being in a lot of ways. But he's not 100% just zeroed in with the blinders on about fighting. And in that business, that can be a dangerous position to be in. Yeah, and I think Matt brought up the great point about just not being able to take those calf kicks anymore. I mean, to me, that shows physical wear down. But it also shows a mental breakdown because that's a simple thing to check. Right. Every MMA fighter that goes in there knows that that's one of the easiest things to check, and he checked none of them. No. Again, it's just you know your your body does wear down over time. Like I said, with all all these wars, and I think that McGregor trains hard. You know, we've seen clips and we've talked to people. They say, no, you know, he 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 says all the right things. He he's working hard. He's doing things, and he is still in magnificent shape. I mean, for a guy his age that has been around as long as he has, he is still in fantastic shape. But I think just after a while, I mean, I just think that uh, again, this is not a guy. I don't know how you've viewed Conor McGregor, but I've never. Viewed viewed him as just being this unbeatable, unstoppable thing. I've never looked at him in the realm of Floyd Mayweather or Canelo Alvarez or even Oscar De La Hoya until Oscar got involved with some other side, you know, when he started hitting the alcohol and the drugs and, and again, was in the wars himself. I, I never viewed that, you know, McGregor. He, he wasn't a guy that just reeled off 20 victories in a row, you know. So, you know, for me, great athlete. Obviously, he's a, a superb marketeer. He, he, can, he can market everything. But for me, I, I, I'm curious about this fight, but I hope it's the last time I really see McGregor because I don't think he's going to win this fight. And from a betting standpoint, anytime McGregor's in a fight, whoever he's fighting, there's always great value there. And for me, when they fought in 2014, Poye was still... He was... I don't want to say he was inexperienced, but McGregor beat him. But then when they fought last January... Poyer was the better fighter, seemed to be, seemed to be the more active fighter, and I think that's just going to continue. I think Poyer is one of the one of the best fighters in UFC, where McGregor isn't anymore. So for me, I'm tired of his act, and I don't think he can beat a top opponent anymore. I really don't. We saw what happened to Khabib. We saw what happened to Poyer. I, I think he should take his last paycheck and, and, and hit the road. Well, and, and that's what I'm curious to see, because I, I don't know that we've seen him that's why I want, I'm hoping he is 100% focused. I'm hoping that he can be the best Conor McGregor that he wanted to be. But again, I'll say what I said before. I don't think he was focused 100% for that fight because of his whiskey, because he's still talking about a rematch with Mayweather or Pacquiao or somebody else again. He's looking at other ways to make money, and I don't begrudge him that at all. He made more from the Mayweather fight than he's going in four or five UFC fights. You know what? He didn't get hurt. Floyd Mayweather doesn't hurt you when he fights no, you. So, less risk. So, yeah, Absolutely. So, so Take what, more of those. Yeah. yeah, so take the money, and if people want to say something about you, you can laugh all the way to the bank because the check cleared. But as far as where I saw him, I did see him as a dominant fighter in his weight class. 
what he what I saw different from him than I did against somebody like Floyd Mayweather was Conor McGregor's never been afraid to challenge himself and go and take on a Khabib or go up a weight class or fight guys like Diaz that he's not supposed to beat or whatever. Whereas Floyd always has a calculated thing of when, a, oh, I'll fight Canelo now before he's really going to be what he's going to be at the end. Floyd always calculates things, so it's always in his advantage. I always thought Connor was willing to go out there and say, I'm going to take on the biggest name out there and let's see what happens. And I think that's one of the reasons why he still has that drawing power even after losses. Because a lot of guys after a loss, they still don't have that that sizzle, that ze- you know. But now, desire, if, yeah. But yeah, now yeah. if he loses again to Poirier back-to-back fights and he lost to Khabib, and he didn't look that great beating up. I mean, he looked great, but against a Cowboy Cerrone that's nowhere near what he used to be, I just wonder how much longer he can even keep on getting these big money fights. After this, I don't think it will be the last time we see him, but it wouldn't surprise me if the next time we do see him isn't one of these stupid exhibition things that we see going on all oh, yeah. over the place oh, no. these yeah, days. He's not done fighting. Yeah. There's no doubt. But again, it'll be one of these cross-sport ridiculous things where it'll be a cash grab. And again, that I think that's where the comparison to Canelo is because Can- Canelo has taken on every opponent, never ducked anybody, moved up in weight to do it. And when other people wouldn't fight him, he would you know, go up you know, two weight divisions to do it just to continue to perfect his craft and be the, the best fighter he can be. And that's why Canelo Alvarez is the best pound-for-pound fighter in the world today. Even though he lost to Floyd Mayweather, people respect Canelo more than they respect Floyd for all of those reasons that, that you're talking about and I'm talking about here. And uh, he, let's face it, I mean, he cleaned out every division he's he's been in and you're right mcgregor has done he's never shied away from anybody so i I definitely respect him for that but after time you know father time does catch up with you and of course money does make a big difference when you have plenty of it you know why take the risk you know versus the reward anymore so this is he probably doesn't view poye as a a risky fight he figures okay one one this is my big you know a chance to to make some big money and he probably doesn't feel that he can you know, thoroughly, you know, definitely destroy him. Like, I don't think that's why he wants to get in the ring with Khabib because Khabib would probably destroy him worse than the first time because that was a beatdown that we saw. And I don't think McGregor really, deep down inside, he won't admit it, but I don't think he wants any part of that. And, you know, Poya could do that to him too, but I don't think McGregor thinks so. I don't know what McGregor thinks with Poirier. I think he thinks it's one-on-one and that he wasn't prepared for this last fight mentally and even physically. Like we mentioned, he wasn't doing simple things. That's kind of MMA 101, especially for that level in the UFC of checking kicks and that sort of thing. I think he's going to get some more people in his camp to help him out. If he doesn't, I'd be shocked. Um, But just because you have a game plan and you can, okay, so you stop the leg kicks. Well, can you stop a takedown? Because Poirier didn't take it to the ground necessarily, and that was one of the things that they were afraid of. They hoped that they were going to stand and bang because McGregor thought that was in, that was more in his wheelhouse. So I think right now Poirier looks at McGregor and goes, I'm better than him. I'm more dominant than him, and he still has an ax to grind. He still has that chip on his shoulder. I don't know if McGregor's fighting because... He's got a chip on his shoulder, or if it's just because of the money and different things. But we know what happens a lot of times when fighters fight just for the money. That's not the right incentive. You've got to have that edge. You've got to be a little bit cocky. You've got to be have that swagger. You've got to be a little bit mean and nasty. You know, when you're you know sitting around, oh, drink my scotch, drink my whiskey, drink my this. You know, it's like McGregor's become more of a businessman right now, and that doesn't always equate to success in the octagon, especially with a guy that just finished you and did it in kind of dominant fashion. And I don't think Poirier is going to go into this fight saying, well, I'll I'll let him feel his way for the first round again. I think Poirier is going to go in this time and say, you know what? I'm going to let you know right from the start that you're in a battle in a war here again. And I don't know. I don't want to sound cheesy here, but, you know, when Rocky fights Drago and he says, well, to be able to win this fight, he's got to be willing to die, and I don't know that he's willing to do that. I don't know that McGregor's really willing to go in there and mix it up the way he's going to have to to beat Poirier. Yeah, we're looking forward to this. Uh, 264 T-Mobile Arena. Tickets uh, will go on sale probably as early as next week for this, so we'll keep you updated on that. McGregor Poirier, three hundred percent capacity. Dana White is expecting 20,000 at T-Mobile Arena. And what this really does, it just opens up the door for 
not only more UFC fights, but boxing as well, too. Remember when we've talked to Bob Ehrman, he, you know, they, he has held off on Tyson Fury against anybody. There was the Fury Wilder thing that was going to take place, you know, here before, but that got postponed several times. And now Wilder's kind of fell out of favor and people, you know, don't feel that, that, you know, that would be a great match. I don't think it'd be a, a very good match uh, the second time. And now we're probably going to see Anthony Joshua face uh, Tyson Fury. The talk is, is this could be at Allegiant Stadium. And it was going to be at Allegiant Stadium with maybe a 50% capacity. Now, if everything is wide open and they can hold this fight in September or October or November, you could see sixty-five to 70,000 fans at this fight at Allegiant Stadium. And then here comes all the other big events. The Las Vegas Bowl now will be back, and, and they will probably sell that out. And then the Raider games, of course, will, you know, they're expecting 100% capacity and with no restrictions come September with that and the exhibition games in, the mid, in mid-August. So, yeah, this, this is a very good sign. Expect more UFC, boxing, and, uh, again, you know, international soccer matches, the concerts like you mentioned coming back. And I know the T-Mobile you know, had everything, not T-Mobile, I should say, Allegiant Stadium had the big, you know, kickoff that they were going to, to do. I believe it was with Garth Brooks, Garth right? Garth Brooks, yeah. And now yeah, that's, that's back on the table here, and they're looking to kick everything off in July with that. So it, it's all falling into place. Hopefully everyone continues to be safe and healthy, and we don't have any setbacks there. But this, it is the news here that we are getting back to normalcy and we're getting back to live events It. Full capacity. So. Well, and again, for for people in Las Vegas and for the state of Nevada, it also means that if this stuff opens again, and if these things go off without a hitch, and everything goes smooth like they're hoping it's going to, they can now start competing again and not have events run away from Vegas that have been going down to Texas or Florida or someplace else. Mm-hmm. Vegas, long before the Raiders were here, long before the Vegas Golden Knights here, was known as an event town. Events have now left the city because they can't have that capacity. And, and it's funny because I heard some of the announcers saying how they're going to miss the Apex Center just because of the intimacy and this, that, and the other. But they're also really looking forward to seeing events with 20,000 people again because MMA fans are crazy. Security doesn't always like them because they have to work very hard those nights. Yeah. But MMA fans, a lot of testosterone in that building. Yeah, people won't miss uh, the Apex for very long. I mean, once you get that adrenaline, you get those people back in, and the fighters will tell you themselves too. I mean, they, they want that adrenaline rush uh, with fans in the stands. So. I also want the money that goes with more fans. Absolutely. Live gates a lot more yeah. when there's 20,000 as opposed to – a couple hundred. A thousand. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> All right, we come back. Bill Lambeer joins us. We talk Aces basketball and a whole lot more. Glad to have you with us on this Wednesday. Hi, this is Bill Lambeer, and you're listening to the T.C. Martin Show. All right, it's about that time again as the Las Vegas Aces getting ready to take the court here back in Las Vegas. We know we're all excited about that. And the WNBA draft taking place tomorrow. So what a great time to visit with our good friend, the head coach and the president of basketball operations with the Aces, Bill Lambeer. Bill, what's going on, my man? Just hanging in there, trying to figure out which direction we're headed. All right, all right. Well, we got faith in you, man. You know, you know, you're gonna you know, push <laughs> the right, you push the right button. There it is. So, how was your off season? I know you're back in Vegas. You spent some time, uh, you know, traveling around a little bit. How was the off season for you? It was all right. I got to relax. Did some fishing. Did some golfing. Uh, tried to stay away from basketball as much as possible after the bubble. Mm-hmm. Um, it was just a uh, difficult season last year, and I needed some time off. So. But now I'm back to work trying to slog through this thing. Uh, you know, it's funny you say that because I, I was guessing that the uh, your off season consisted a lot of some golfing, some fishing, and maybe setting up some uh, crab traps. Was I right on the money there, or what? Yeah, that's pretty much what I do. Um, <laughs> you know, and and you know, so but it was good good to get away and then try to re energize because you know they're long season staring us in the face again. Yeah, and, and do you take that same approach that you did when you were a player? As well, too, yes. where it's like, okay, you take that deep breath, and okay, now it's it's go time again, and really try, like, and like you said, stay away from basketball as, as much as you possibly can. That's what I did as a player, because I only have so many mental energy moments, and 
you know, basketball does wear you down and you have to re-energize. So that, that's I've, my whole life I've done that in basketball and it's worked so well so far. All right. So the draft is tomorrow. Aces have picks 12, 14, and 36. Uh, how do you feel about uh, where you're picking and with three selections here? And actually, you know, two picks uh, pretty close, almost right in a row with each other to end the first and start the yeah, second round. 12, 12 and 14 are going to be, you know, uh, they're not going to be stars. They're going to be role players. And quite frankly, in this league, you know, picking at that level, they're going to really you know, work hard just to get on a team. Uh, we do have a spot or two open. Uh, so that's a big positive for our draft picks. Uh, we're looking for the best basketball player. Uh, not necessarily for any – we have positions covered across the board already. So we're actually looking for a player that we can develop for two years down the road, three years down the road, because – the salary cap's going to get even more restrictive, and we're going to lose some players over the course of time. So the small contracts help, and as long as we can develop their game, and they can develop their game to contribute in two years from now, that's kind of what we're looking for. And how much do you really look at, like you said, I mean, you guys are you guys got a lot of veterans on this team, and you've got a couple spots that, that are open. And again, you're not going to get a, a quote-unquote superstar at pick 12 or 14, but what do you feel that this team needs and at this point, are you looking maybe more for uh, personality as well as talent, but someone who's really going to fit in uh, chemistry-wise? Yeah, that's what you look for for bench players. They come out of college, they, they play all the minutes. You know, They're playing 30-plus minutes a game. They're the starter. They're the star of the show. Uh, coming to the WNBA is a lot harder, and especially coming to a team like us that doesn't have many opportunities to get minutes. They're going to take an ego hit. Uh, it takes certain, not a special person, but it takes a certain personality to accept that and to realize that they're not as good as they think they are at this particular time. So they have to develop their game. They have to be willing to put the time in the gym. They have to be willing to listen uh, and stick with it. There's going to be moments when they get depressed or, or put their head down a little bit, but they have to keep on going. Uh, there'll be some that'll quit because they just can't handle it. But uh, we're looking for a person that'll also fit in. We have a great, great chemistry in this ball club. And we don't need any knuckleheads. There you go. All right, Bill Lambeer joins us, the president of basketball operations with the Aces and the head coach as well, too. Uh, T.C. Martin show here with uh, Frank Harnish. You know, Bill, with every sport, it seems like today, fans get so excited about the drafts coming up. And the leagues have done a great job of promoting the drafts and getting people excited about them. But I've always kind of felt like, although the drafts are nice, you don't really know what you're going to get a lot of times till three, four, five years down the road. And to me, it's always been more important about free agent signings and that sort of stuff, people that you know what they can do and what kind of impact they're going to make immediately on your club. Do you kind of feel the same way? Is the draft an overblown thing, or is it, or is it as big as the leagues try to make it out to be? That depends on where you pick and what your team is about. Obviously, we knew what we were getting in Asia Wilson, number one pick overall, and we knew that she was going to be a superstar in this league. So, you know, that, that's an easy one. Uh, you know, we took Jackie Young in a, in a, a not as not a, not a Asia Wilson, but at the same time, she's one of those players that you know you can count on for many years of what she can do. Uh, so it's just a matter of where you pick and what your team is about. Uh, I, I grant it that you're going to have some players, um, you know, starting in five, six, seven, and eight that you can't get overly excited about. But still, you know, some of them will turn out to be really good players. And that Collier from Minnesota was taken number six a few years ago, and she's blossomed into a potential Olympian. So it's just a matter of if they get the opportunity in certain places where they're drafted that they can blossom early or they have to work at their game and blossom late. You know, you mentioned that you like to get as far away from basketball as you can, you know, during this off season. But, but of course, you got to keep your finger on the pulse. I'm just curious, Bill, when March Madness rolls around here, and even prior to that, uh, how much of an eye are you keeping on on the women's college season and the women's tournament? And uh, are are you even watching the men's uh, at all, or is this something that you're just saying, "Hey, with Dan Pat over Dan, you kind of you look at this," or how you know how much are you really looking at this uh, during the off season? I don't watch the men at all. Um, and the women's game in college, I'll watch some games that are on TV, but I'm, I'd only be focused on a certain individual depending on where we draft. Uh, so I'm not looking at, obviously, the top five, six picks in the draft. I, you know, we don't have an opportunity, and we have nothing really to trade up with. Uh, so it, it, I don't really watch a lot of it. Uh, watch some trends. Um, there'll be a, a, you know, a player may get hot for a while to take a quick peek at someone like that to see why they're hot. Uh, or someone's falling off the face of the earth where they shouldn't be, and you're trying to figure out why they're doing that too. 
But other than that, no, it's just Dan does most of the work and the assistants do most of the work. Three rounds in the draft uh, this year. Previously, it was two. Uh, what was the reasoning behind that with the league? Do you know? Well, I think the more you draft, it's, 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 it's a lot of the colleges, it's a little feather in their cap, especially the mid-major colleges. But if they can get a player drafted in the WNBA, that's a pretty good calling card for recruiting. Uh, so get more spots, get more players' opportunities to – you know, grow the sport. We're always trying to grow the sport of women's basketball. So the more you can draft, it, it helps the colleges. It helps the players. Um, even though they may not make it, they can still say when they're 40 years old, I was drafted by the WNBA. You know, it used to be the, I don't know if it's a knock on a women's basketball, but the general consensus about it was that the elite teams were so much better than everybody else that you look at a handful of teams and you're getting the majority of talent in college basketball. Have you noticed now, because you mentioned the mid-majors and that, that women's basketball, there is a little bit more parity and you do have to kind of expand a little bit more and maybe look at some of the outer edges to try to find that diamond in the rough or maybe somebody that's off somebody else's radar? Yeah, the, the women's games expanded um, and, and, and flattened out, so to speak, because of television. Um, there's a, a million more women's college basketball games on television through the regional networks. So everybody now gets uh, a chance to see them on TV, which will keep some players closer to home because now they can be on TV and their family and friends can see them play. That's what happened in men's college basketball back when I was playing in the early 80s when ESPN came around and started showing more games then the talent level dispersed. And that's, that's what's happening in the women's game today. You're seeing other colleges, you know, the Baylors have grown up. Uh, Notre Dame has fallen off the wayside, but here comes NC State. Uh, so there's a lot of other colleges that, because of television, they're able to attract better players. And I think that's what's been driving the, the college, women's college basketball game as well as our league, because now there's name familiarity that's coming into our league across the board, and that really helps us. 32-game schedule this season, down from 34, what we're used to. Of course, last year, 22 because of the pandemic. Bill, is the number 32 there because you guys will be taking a month off for the Olympic Games? Or I don't think that's really pandemic-related, right? Do you know how, why well, it's 32? A little, it's a little of both. We, we, we were going to be scheduled for 36. We were actually going to expand the number of games we played. But between the Olympic break and then, you know, you, they're, they're going to have to keep some – some breaks in there in case we have some cancellations. Um, you know, the men have shown that they've had, you know, hockey and basketball, whatever. If COVID creeps into certain situations, they may have to postpone the game. So if we're playing in a full schedule and using up all the dates, there's no hope to squeeze them in. So there are buffers in this, in this year in the schedule for contingency purposes in case we have some postponements. So I think that's also part of it. And, but also the Olympic break, you know, so we couldn't squeeze everything all in at once. So it's kind of a combination of the two. And speaking of the Olympics, I mean, you could have two, three, maybe even four representatives uh, off off this team, obviously, you know, t- considering Liz Cambage is back, you know, playing for Australia. Uh, how, how do you feel about that? Uh, plus and minus. You don't want to get anybody hurt. Yeah. Uh, we have we have Jisoo Park going to play for Korea. Right. Liz is going to play for Australia. We got Asia's going to play for us. We don't know. If Chelsea Gray is going to make it for USC, it's a very good shot. Plum is looking at three-on-three basketball. So, yeah, we got a lot of potential Olympians, which is great for them. That's great for our franchise. There's no question about that. As a coach, you always worry about injuries, about fatigue and things like that. But you can't fault them. It's United States basketball, and they're representing their country, and so more power to them. Yep. You mentioned before about how you know COVID is still an issue in some of the other leagues out and, you know, by the time that the WNBA starts up, you know, hopefully that'll kind of be in the rearview mirror. But is there a little bit of trepidation about the fact that we know that the city's about to open up again? There's going to be 100% fans in the stadiums again. I'm sure you're excited to be playing in front of the live crowds, but is there any kind of concern or something like that with all these people there? Hopefully wearing masks, but we don't know for sure how people are going to handle all this stuff now that they're getting a taste of freedom again. Yeah, I don't know. You know, hopefully we're all vaccinated by that by that point, and and the league has very intense protocols for how this season is going to go. It's still not like okay, go go do whatever you want to. There's still many protocols that haven't really been finalized yet, but we know they're coming uh, to um, you know limit the players' uh, exposure 
to outside influences of, you know, of, of COVID opportunities. So I, I think overall um, there's a good plan in place, and hopefully it's executed appropriately. Hopefully everybody in the United States and the COVID cases start dropping, and uh, we have a good solid season in front of us. Do you know what the plan is right now as far as fans coming to the games? I know obviously people want to get back to Mandalay Bay uh, to see you guys live in person. Has any determination been made yet with that? Yeah, it's as clear as mud at the moment. Yeah. <laughs> Mississippi mud, Florida mud, Louisiana mud? Pick any of the, pick, pick any of the above. It's, a, un, it's an unanswerable question at the moment. Okay. Bill Lambeer joins us talking Las Vegas Aces, the WNBA draft taking place tomorrow night. And then the season opener coming up on May the 15th. You guys open against the defending champion, the team that you know very well, the Seattle Storm, that you faced last year in the bubble for the title. Uh, you're going to have two games against them before you come uh, back home or open uh, the season at Mandalay Bay. Uh, give us some thoughts about the opener. Well, traditionally, they go last year's finalists play each other. Normally, it's on national television. We'll see how all that works. Uh, so I think that's part of the reason why we opened the game with us playing them back-to-back. Um, yeah, it's for both teams looking at it going, ah, oh, crap, you know, because it also gives, you know, a little bit of hype gone because we play them back-to-back. We don't play them later on the regular season there, but it is what it is. You have to play everybody X amount of times, no matter when you play them. Hopefully everybody's healthy and just go play. Uh, but, you know, it is a very difficult opener for both games. You know, there's a possibility coming home 0-2 or 1-1 or, you know, hopefully 2-0. You just, you just don't know. You just got to go play the games. Your training camp approach, Bill, is it any different uh, this year, or does it does it change for you because you've been doing this for such a long time from year to year, or do you like to mix things up, or do you really like to stay pretty consistent and, and stick to a, a traditional training camp plan that you have? Well, last year obviously was the poster child for unusualness. Mm-hmm. Um, in the bubble, it's very, very controlled, very closeted. Um, Players hadn't been able to play at all five-on-five basketball. Same as happening right now, not able to play five-on-five basketball. Uh, so, but I also the most the biggest thing is you can't use guys um, for practice purposes. So you're gonna get fatigued faster. You're gonna risk injury a little bit more. Uh, you're gonna have to try to give them as much more time off because you can't get the number of reps. You just wear down so fast. So I, I think not having the guys is probably one of the biggest. Um, impacts of the COVID situation because we have to play against each other and they get mixing, you know, bumps and bruises here. Players sit out. Now you only got nine players to practice it and you can't play five on five. So those are the kind of problems you run into with, with the COVID situation for training camp. Otherwise it would be normal, but they're trying to limit the injuries during training camp. Going into this season, certainly the aces are one of the favorites to win the WNBA championship. Is is that a fair assessment? Is that uh, obviously that's what you're shooting for? But what do you think the realistic expectations of this team are? And um, do you even pay attention to what the media or anybody else says about it? No, I don't pay attention to the media. I know that our players have been growing the last two years. Uh, you know, semifinals and finals. Uh, they've exper- a great experience for them because you, early in the thing you call it's a veteran team, but we're still pretty young. Um, I, I think. The players got a good taste of it and know what it tastes. And we didn't have Liz, we didn't have Plum. Uh, so they're going to be put back in the situation. But they both missed last year and were very disappointed in that. Uh, and so they're really looking forward to it. I think what we learned is more about each other uh, in the bubble in, in the last couple of years is who we are, what we're about, and more importantly, how the little things impact everything. Uh, it's very important that you try to get a, a number one or number two seed so you're seeded right into the semifinals in a best of five. I think that's one of the goals of our, our team. But as I told another uh, media outlet earlier today, um, the goal always you – can't, you can't win the finals unless you're in the finals. So the goal should always be to get to the finals. Win or lose, you got there and gave yourself a chance. Uh, and, in, and I think we get there, we'll have a very good chance. But you got to get there first, and that's our number one priority. All right. Uh, new ownership, new uniforms, new arena name, Michelob Ultra Arena, uh, Mark Davis. Uh, talk a little bit about that aspect, Bill, and how that came together and the thoughts about working with Mark. Well, it's been a, 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 in motion since the MGM bought the team. I was telling somebody today that 
You know, they told me back then they were going to sell a piece of it down the road, if not a majority, or they, they didn't think they'd sell it all. Um, but I knew it was coming when I signed up for this gig back when. Uh, I think that um, it's a great opportunity for this franchise in this town. Mark is very uh, emotionally into the WNBA and women's basketball. He has been for many, many, many years. And I, I think this is something that he's really um, committed to. And that's the right word is commitment. Uh, he's made it. He's going to build us a practice site. It's already under construction right now. That's a big. That's a big number of commitment to go forward for the WNBA. And he's gen- he's genuine. He's really into this thing, and it's going to be a lot of fun. The players see that. Uh, they they talk to him. He talks to them all the time. And and so I, I think for our this franchise right now at this particular time, this is wonderful. And I like the guy. He's into it. He demands. But at the same time, he takes a step back and lets you do your work. So I think that it's a good marriage, and it's going to be very successful for the long term. It just seems like that this franchise just continues to grow and blossom along with the city here in Las Vegas and, and the sports landscape. I mean, talk a little bit about the advantages of having an owner like Mark Davis, who who owns one of the most iconic brands in sports in the Raiders, who relocated here just like you did and the Aces, and how this just continues to, to get better and better, it seems, for an organization. Well, this market was starved for professional sports uh, or and just winning sports. Uh, and so uh, there's only so much to go around, so the competition in the, in the future is going to be really interesting to watch for the ticket dollar. But I think overall um, the most important thing about Las Vegas is all the players and all the sports really like being here. It's a big, small town. Uh, you don't get lost. If the climate is wonderful. You know, it does get damn hot. We all know that. But at the same time, you know, the, the mids, the, you know, the mid things, spring and fall, are beautiful. It's not it doesn't snow very much in the winter time, so it's a great climate to live. And, and the biggest telling thing, I believe, would be the players, especially in our league, want to live here, uh, which is very unusual. So that just tells you something about the town and the opportunity and how they see it. All right, final thing for you, Bill. You mentioned uh, Liz Cambage, Kelsey Plum, both missing last season. Talk a little bit about Liz. You brought her back, signed her uh, to a new deal. Um, talk about uh, your expectations for Liz, where she fit in, and your thoughts. Well, I expect Liz to come play basketball. Um, you know, she's in tremendous shape at the moment. Uh, she's ready to go. She, she, she missed basketball last year. She saw the success that we had and the growth that we had. Uh, she's into it. She wants. She's ready to go. And when she's engaged, uh, she's one of the best in the world, obviously. And I think that she understands also about sacrifice. She knows how good we are, how rest of good the rest of the players are. So I think we are, all the players seem to be on the same page. For a coach, that's a wonderful thing to have uh, because it makes your job so much easier. You, you actually have to play the game, though. So. No one's given anybody anything. You have to go out there. You have to stay healthy. You have to play as a team, and you have to perform and win. And so let's get this thing going and toss it up and see what happens. There you go. Well, it's uh, great to have you back here in town, my friend. I know fans can hardly wait to get back to the arena to see you guys having a full schedule. Uh, looking forward again to working with you this season and just uh, looking forward to a great season for the Aces, my friend. So we'll see you very, very soon. Thanks a lot. Appreciate the support. Thanks. There it is, uh, Bill Lambeer. The present basketball operations for the Las Vegas Aces and the head coach as well, too. The WNBA draft tomorrow night will be broadcast live on ESPN. Again, it will be done remotely. Um, picks 12, 14, and, and 36 for the Aces, picking at the bottom of the first round and then at the top of the second round. So they'll have uh, two out of three picks right there in the middle. And uh, we'll see uh, what happens uh, with that. But again, you know, this team is pretty much already in place with a lot of veterans. And, you know, like you asked him, you know, this this is one of the favorites. And I know he doesn't like to be the favorite. He likes to, you know, basically kind of keep everything on the the down low and doesn't like those expectations. But we know what bookmakers are going to do. They're going to make the Aces the favorite uh, again just because of the talent that they have. But again, there are so many good quality teams in this league, the Seattle Storm last year. Again, Felena Deladon comes back with Washington. You know, watch out for them. And the Chicago Sky have improved the last couple seasons. So this is going to be – you talk about parity. There's a lot of parity in the WNBA. Well, yeah, and, and, and the thing about it is, I mean, you know, some coaches like expectations, some don't. But, 
And that's why I kind of asked him, it's like, do you even pay attention to that sort of things? The thing about expectations is there's expectations because people expect you to be pretty good. So I don't think that's necessarily a bad thing. When he was part of the Pistons and they were winning championships, they had expectations. The key is to find a way to live up to those expectations. And right or wrong, and like you mentioned, yeah, they're going to be one of the favorites. I wouldn't be surprised if they are the favorite. You also have to remember that one of the reasons that they are expectations so much more is because they're the local team. They're the hometown team where all the sports books are at in that. Now, there might be a little bit different odds offshore or someplace else a little bit that might be skewed, but here in town, it's like when the Vegas Golden Knights play. They're going to be favored against pretty much everybody they play because everybody in this town backs them all the time. You know, So sometimes you have to also look at why the numbers are what they are because it could be a regional thing a little bit too that changes things. I know up in Reno sometimes we hear about, you know, maybe the Warriors or somebody else is a little bit different because it's more in, you know, that vicinity and you have people coming over there in the in the books and wagering up there. So there are reasons for some things, but yeah, but I don't think expectations is necessarily a bad thing. It's only a bad thing if you don't live up to them and then you have to answer all those questions about why you didn't. Well, maybe they weren't realistic. But no coach ever wants to have to go out there and say, well, <laughs> I knew we weren't that good, but, you know, you guys said we were. I never said we yeah, were. Yeah, and that's what happened the last two years, especially two years ago when they made them the betting favorite. And Lambeer said one of the opening press conferences, whoa, whoa, whoa. He goes, I don't know where you guys are getting this. But, again, you know, again, you got to know the league and, and know the landscape and everything. But, again, just because you have a superstar, when they got Liz Cambage, people go, oh, that's going to put them over the hump. Well, you know, you don't know. You don't know. And there were times where you didn't know how she was going to gel in with, uh, you know, with other people on the team. And like Bill says, a lot of people still don't realize this is still a very young team. When you got probably almost half that roster that have been in this league for only, like, say, four years or less. And that usually doesn't win you championships. But uh, they've done a fantastic job of building this team through the draft, as well as picking up some key free agents. Angel McCautry was a, a fantastic free free agent pickup, and it's good to have Liz Cambage back. But again, Asia Wilson coming off her MVP season, you know, only three years in the league. Yeah, there's there's a lot of a lot of hype. There's a lot of expectations, and more importantly, fans just just like anything, any other sport, fans are dying to get back to root this team on. They're dying to get back into T-Mobile Arena, you know, so you could have 18,000-plus to root the Golden Knights on. And, you know, it's, it's that way with every sports town, you know, every sports team here as well, too. And if, like we talked about earlier, the major events, whether it's UFC or boxing, the concerts, everybody just wants to get back and, and you know, get some merchandise and, and root their team on. So let's do it. Three, three, three new uniforms to get merchandise for this year, right? That's right. Yeah, exactly. So, like I said, new ownership, new uh, new arena name, made a couple tweaks over there as well, too. And, yeah, the new uniform's looking pretty sharp as well, too. So, all right, appreciate Bill Lambeer for joining us. Looking forward to the Aces. We'll follow what happens in the draft. We'll have, hopefully, the draft picks on coming up on Friday as well, too, depending on if they can get out here in time, get them on the phone, because they're still finishing up school, too. <laughs> so, that's happening. All right, uh, Nick Bogdanovich from William Hill. He will join us next hour. We'll get uh, some thoughts on the NFL. Got some NFL news as well, too. So don't you dare go anywhere. Ballpark Frank, T.C. Martin with you on this Wild Wednesday. <laughs> 